Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Hope you've had a good week this week. We've had a great week uh, around here. Um, hopefully you have too. I, I want to say a couple things before I finish up uh, talking in this series. Have you guys enjoyed this series? Have you also felt like you've had a spiritual whooping every time you've come in here? I have. I've been sitting in it for weeks, so I'm just sharing the wealth. It's just there's more to go around. So hopefully uh, God is, is speaking loudly to you and you're listening as you should. So here, here's the thing. I just want to say a couple things to, uh, to Dolly and Kevin. I just want to say thank you. I don't know where you are. You'll listen to this eventually if you're not in here. I just want to say thank you for allowing us to come to your house for the shoot yesterday. Had a great time. Yes, we can clap for that, people being generous. Um, I embarrassed myself several times. I did a lot of shooting, but not a lot of hitting of anything. So a lot of air. The air was like, you know, was taken out, but no no skeet really for me. But had a great time, and we thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, Just just so good to come together, and when people are generous like that, they just need to be lifted up and encouraged and encouraged. And it, it makes a big difference in the life of a church. And I want to highlight a couple other things that have happened that are a significance. Um, and once I say, I'm going to say three names, but when I say your name, I just ask you to stand up. These are the newest members of the Calvary family. Where's Barry and Lola? If you guys would stand up. Nick, if you would stand up. The newest members. Excited for them. We celebrate next steps. They have completed Discover Calvary. I've had conversations with all of them, and they are primed for ministry. Praise God. They are primed for ministry, just like every follower of Jesus should be primed for ministry and doing what it is that God is stirring in their hearts to do. There's so many good things happening around the church right now. Hopefully you sense that, not just in our services and just the spirit of the people, but what God is doing spiritually, even outside of these walls, is powerful. There's Dolly and Kevin. Give them another round of applause. We already said your name a minute ago. See, it's funny. They got in here late, and then we thought we were just, hey, you're here late. There you go. Not so much, but uh, we just want to say thank you for allowing us to come to your house yesterday and invade your space. So that's what that was about. And, uh, and also to make you feel awkward when you walk in late. That helps too. So, uh, Pastorally speaking, of course. So we're going to talk about some interesting things today as we're finishing up this series. But I remember back when I was in high school, we had to take American history class. Pretty much everybody, I think, did we all have to take American history? And there was, when I took American history, there was, this, there was this threat that was heard around my school that if you don't pass American history, you don't pass high school. You have to pass the, 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 I think it was the Constitution test in American history. It's like a big thing, and I was so nervous. Some of you are like walking into that. I was so nervous thinking, what if I fail, and then I'm like the only one who fails, and then I'm stuck in high school, and shouldn't I know some things about the country anyway? You know, and like feeling guilty about all these things. But it really, I think Don Williams was the one who, who taught the class, but my mind is, is not as sharp as it used to be, but I think it was Don Williams. And, and it's it's interesting because one of the things as we talk about history, American history, world history, is something that connects. You may not have taken that class or maybe you did take that class. But one of the things as we connect history, I guarantee you this, this quote about history will resonate with us. And this also would resonate with the Pharisees. We're going to see this in a moment. And this quote is from Edmund Burke. And he said this, 
those who don't know history are what? Are doomed to... Yeah. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. That is so true in what's going on in the world right now. And some of us are very keenly aware of what's going on culturally and politically and just even in the, the world stage or even the national stage or the local stage. And maybe you see the ripple effect of what's happening now and, it, and you believe it's happened before. And now it's just happening again. And you're like, did we not learn anything from the history? Maybe Don Williams was right. Maybe. And teaching me all those things. But that quote is so true and that also it resonates with what we're going to see in the Pharisees today because the Pharisees themselves, they had attached themselves to a line of historical figures, religious historical figures, and they, they had connected themselves, although they were separated by hundreds of years, they had aligned themselves with these certain religious figures and they were propping themselves up. In other words, they wanted, to be, they wanted to rewrite history and say, no, no, we were on, if we were there, we were on the right side of history. Which is interesting because Jesus is so far, he's gone through six woes against them and just... Just like one after the other, boom, 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 these, these mourning, or mournful statements and sorrowful statements, and yet one's bringing just a fierce message to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that they were doing things that were wrong. And now Jesus, he speaks against the very rewriting of history and, what, and, and really where they are in the connection of things. Jesus speaks against that in such a way, and he calls them out. And what I've been perplexed with so far is I've been digging into this because I've never preached any of this content until this week or until these, these seven weeks. And what I've been so perplexed by the whole way through is how could the Pharisees who knew the law get it so wrong? How could they? I mean, if you, they, would, they would know the law. Now, their Bible was... Genesis to Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, that was, their, that was their canon at the time. If they knew all this information, how can they get it wrong? And I thought of an illustration this week. I mentioned to you my truck last week, and some of you had truck envy. Some of you are like, I'm glad I'm not a Ford person. I, I get all that. And, and some of you are scratching your head because you're like, I've seen your truck and it's not a 1999. Um, because I mixed that up too. But it's a 2019 some of you already know that, knew it better than I do, apparently. But here's the thing that I think we all can connect with. You may look at my truck and say, wow, that truck's like, it's nice and shiny and red and it's all that and great. But my truck is just like every other vehicle that you drive right now. When there's something wrong with your vehicle, you have this little light that comes on that says, what? Check engine. You've been there before. It says check engine. It says, hey, What? Something's wrong. Something needs fixed. There's something. So, I don't know, like six weeks ago, I was driving the truck, and I had gotten some fuel. I'm just rolling along, and, and I hate the auto stop feature on new vehicles. That's a whole other topic, but I, I, I really don't like that. And so I'm stopped at a stoplight, and the, and the truck starts acting really weird. The check engine light comes on. It's the uh-oh light. It's like, ah, this is like, this is annoying right now. And it's, it's just running really weird. So then I waited about a week and I thought, you know, because that's what you do when you have a check engine light. Is it going to go away? Because if it goes away, then you can pretend nothing happened, right? Isn't that, isn't that the way it works? If it stays on, then you've got an uh-oh. But if not, it was just like, no, it was just bad fuel or it was just something. So uh, about a week later, it was still running rough. And then about a week or so after that, the light went away. And I was like, 
there wasn't a problem after all. Everything was great. No problem at all. You see, when we see that check engine light, we have a choice, don't we? We look at that and we say, okay, I, I need to pay attention to something because something's not right. And yet, I have a choice to make. I can either, I can either do something because the, because the light says I need to do something, or I can just pretend that that light doesn't exist. And that's kind of like what the, 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 the canon of the Scripture that the Pharisees are going into. For them, I, I just know that there was something about what they had at the time they were going through, and yet it should, it should, they should have been really, really concerned if there was no check engine light, check your heart light because of what they were doing and how they were doing it wrong. And if there was, if there was nothing in them that was making them call to repentance, if there was nothing in them spiritually that was waking them up to change, that means that there's something wrong. If that check engine light is check, check heart light is just beeping. And if they know the word of God, if they knew the Bible, how is it that somebody can know a lot of facts about the Bible and a lot of the truths about the Bible and yet not be moved spiritually by what's in the Bible? Now, as you can guess, I'm not just talking about the Pharisees. I'm talking about you. And I'm talking about me. We should be really concerned when we get into the Bible like the Pharisees did we can get in and not have any movement spiritually about what we see in the Scriptures. Every time that we get into the Word of God or you get into community or you, you have a conversation with someone and someone tries to give you a word of encouragement or maybe to discourage some bad behavior, your heart is telling you something. If you just write it off as, it's really no big deal or what are you, who are you to tell me this, that says something about your heart. And yet, if your heart is, is dead to those spiritual promptings of the Holy Spirit, that's a big uh-oh spiritually for you. So as we get into this last woe, let's pray and let's hope and let's believe that the Holy Spirit is going to give you if there needs to be a check heart light and that God would, would prick your heart in such a way that you would be in tune spiritually, that you would be alert enough and that you would be humble enough to receive the instruction that God has. Matthew 23 is where we have been and where we will be, starting in verse 29 today, reading through verse 39. 29 through 39. As we get down to the, to the last woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Common phrase. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we have lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you're descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Can you imagine being on the other side of this? These, these men thought they had it all together. They're the ones that other people looked up to. And now Jesus is basically saying, fill up in the measure of the sin of your forefathers, you snakes, you brood of vipers. I don't even like snakes, okay? I don't even like them, period. And now Jesus is calling them snakes, a brood of vipers. Even worse than that, he says, how will you escape being condemned to hell? 
Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in the synagogues and pursue from town to town. So upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the, the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your, chicken, your children together, excuse me, as a hen, that's the reason why I said chicken, by the way, as a hen gathers her chicks, I'm not crazy, under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, I'm glad you're reading your Bible. You know when I said chicken, I should have said children. Verse 38, look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus gives a powerful rebuke. Now the final woe, a word of sorrowful condemnation to these men who thought they had it all together. So I've divided this talk into two different categories, and we're not going to spend equal time on the two categories, which is very common in my preaching. I usually go too much in one and not enough in the other, and that's okay. But the way that I've divided the first part is with this. Tombs and trophies. Tombs and trophies. You may say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, in this passage... The Pharisees are connecting themselves to some history that they want to align themselves with to make themselves look better. Notice, if you will, back into the passage, verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say... If we'd have lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding of the blood of the prophets. So what are they doing? They're decorating the graves of people who they deem to be spiritual heroes, the prophets of the time. And they're doing this not because they're wanting to elevate the prophets at the time. They're doing this because they are they see themselves as aligned with the line of prophets from the Old Testament. So it's a tomb that they're in graves they're decorating, but really what it is, it's a trophy built to themselves. So they're going and they're and they're they're doing just what the Bible says right here and what Jesus speaks against. They're, they're building tombs for the prophets and they're decorating the graves of the righteous. And they're saying, oh, the injustice that happened to these, to these righteous people and to these prophets. And then they said, well, if, if, if we were there, we would have never taken part in that. We would have never taken part in that. But it was all a lie. It was all deception. Because when they would decorate the tombs and graves and they would do all these things, they weren't doing it to honor the people in the ground. They were doing it because they themselves tied themselves to this great line of, of God's men. So when they were building these tombs, in essence, they were building and they were basically erecting trophies for themselves. Trophies are interesting, aren't they? Has anyone ever won a trophy in here? I mean... 
soccer, volleyball, baseball, basketball, spelling bee. Anyone? Raise your hand up. It's okay. You want a trophy. Give it up for these people, the heroes in the room. No, I'm just kidding. Like, trophies are a big deal. Trophies are really cool. I've won a couple trophies in my day. The first one, I'm glad you asked, was in C-League, Red Bland Little League. We were the world champions of C-League, S&W Pest Control, dating myself, going back a couple years. Some of you are like, I remember S&W Pest Control. Me too. Me too. Had a baseball card, my picture on it. Man, I thought I was something. I was, I was the star center fielder. We did win. I'm not sure it was a world championship at all, but we did win. And, and it was great, and I got this little bitty trophy. And, and in, in Boy Scouts, I had made this little bitty shelf. And so this shelf, and for a while, it was just that trophy. And then there was like a little trophy from the St. Louis Cardinals on it. Exactly. And it was like on this little shelf, and I remember it in my room because it was, as soon as I walk in, in, into my room, it was on the wall right here, and it was that, that little trophy from S&W Pest Control. Then I eventually won another trophy from uh, second place when I was in B League, and I caught, before I got called up to the majors of A League, Red Band Little League. And we won second place, and, and then I didn't have enough room in the little shelf for the trophies. That was all the trophies I've earned, by the way. That was it for first and second place. Like, it's normal if, if you're on a team or you're in an individual sport and then you, you do well in that and then you get a trophy. There's nothing wrong with that. But wouldn't it be weird if you were actually making a trophy for yourself? That would be weird, would it not? Like, look at me. I'm awesome. I don't know what I've done, but it's I'm awesome. And, and because I went online and I, I had a trophy made for me because I'm awesome. And what if you had like a room in your house that was just like your awesome room? And like you went in and you're like, oh my God, I didn't know you won all these trophies. I'm like, yo, man, I earned all those trophies. I bought all those trophies. And, and somebody to go in and look at that. And then you look at that and be like, um, world's most awesome man. What, really? Why make, why, what? Like that's just weird if you're to make your own trophy. You see the Pharisees, they're doing these things and it's like they're making their own trophy. It's like they're making their own trophy. It's like they're doing all these things hoping that people will lift them up further because although their time in service was separated by a few hundred years, they saw these, these prophets of old and they said, yes, we are a part of that line because the prophets are being celebrated and we want to be celebrated too. That's how twisted this is. That's the reason why Jesus speaks ill of them. And then they say, because they're totally blind to the truth, they say, you know what? If we were there, we would have never, we would have never killed the prophets. We, we wouldn't have been a part of that. We would have been on the side of good. See, sometimes I think we rewrite history in our own way too. Because we're a culture that... In one generation, we kill the prophet. In another generation, we build a monument for the prophet. In another generation, that what we see is we tear down the monument of the prophet. Are we really that different? Are we really that different? Are, are we really that different? You may say, well, like, what does this, like, really have to do with this message? And what is Jesus, like, calling them to do. 
Although all seven of these woes is a powerful, powerful word in and of itself. I want you to know that when Jesus is speaking against them, he also loves them. So when the Holy Spirit of God then imposes and he, and he, he, he sends that message to check heart light into us, he is sending that message and it may be heaviness on our heart, it may be something firm in our mind, it may be something that we just feel like it's a mountain in front of us that we just cannot, we cannot go over ourselves. I just want you to know that is because God loves you. Because God is inviting you to something better than what you currently have. Jesus is inviting the Pharisees to something better than what they currently have. And the way that Jesus speaks to them, although it is a condemning message, when he calls them snakes, brood of vipers, and he says, how, you ex- how will you escape being condemned to hell? Of course, he's saying, this is where you are. But I, but I want you to see this. At the last verse that we read, much of this passage has to do with judgment, but there's a little glimpse of mercy at the end. Jesus said, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he's saying, yes, there's there's judgment coming for those who are walking away from God. There's judgment coming, but know that there's also an opportunity for mercy. There's also an opportunity for mercy. The tombs and trophies. Thinking about how corrupt this is. And, and you may not even be in the faith and say, well, wow, I mean, who is Jesus? To, who is Jesus to think that he can go in and just call these people out publicly? Jesus is the one who went to the cross for them and for you and for me. John 3, 16 and 17 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That's Jesus Christ. That whoever believes, that whoever, whoever believes, white, black, Hispanic, Dominican, Jew, Gentile, Italian, French, Australian, Hungarian, Portuguese, Spanish, Argentinian, Colombian, did I miss any? Antarctican, I don't even know if that's a thing. (laughs) That he died for all of us. That whosoever, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, because the world was already condemned. Jesus loved the Pharisees. He loves humanity. No matter where you are or what you've done or how how you've messed your life up or how you think somebody else has messed your life up, God is a God of mercy and He's giving you an opportunity. And He gives you an opportunity every time that there's something that happens spiritually where God pricks your heart and it's that check heart light. Every single time, and God is trying to wake you up to a reality of a better life in Him. Praise God that He does it. Praise God that He does it. Verse 35 says this. 
After Jesus says, therefore, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in the synagogues and pursue from town to town. Then Jesus, he connects the true line of history in verse 35 and 36. And so upon you will become all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. They're denying their history. They're saying if, if we were there, we would have been on the right side of history. Jesus calls them out and he says, no, your type of people were there and they were there to, to kill the first martyr. That's Abel. And the last martyr of the Hebrew canon, Zechariah. So he, when Jesus talks about this, he uses, interestingly enough, from A to Z in the Old Testament canon. From Abel to Zechariah, he says, people just like you were there, and they were there and they killed the prophet. So that's what Jesus, he's calling them out. And he's, he's saying, you know, when they're trying to deny their history and say, no, no, we would have been on the right side of history. Jesus says, no, 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 here's the side of history you were truly on. And you can't deny that is what Jesus is saying. And he borrows from two different uh, passages, one of which is Genesis 4.8. Of course, all the way back in the Old Testament, first book of the Old Testament. And that details when Cain killed Abel. And then the other one that Jesus borrows from is 2 Chronicles 24, 20, and 21. And this is what that passage says. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehadiah, the priest. He stood before the people and said, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. But they plotted against him. And by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. This is what Jesus is making reference to. And the Pharisees knew it. But you see, the, the Pharisees were also there to kill the last two prophets. Of course, I'm talking about John the Baptist, and I'm talking about Jesus. So their lies and their deception and their rebellion didn't stop. And it continued on in the life and death of John the Baptist and Jesus. This was John the Baptist's message to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Matthew 3, 7 through 12. If you have your Bible, you can flip there quickly. Hold your place in Matthew 23. Let's read this together. Matthew 3, verse 7 through 12. But when he, that's John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produced fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. In other words, they too, John the Baptist knew that they were trying to tie into their history. of saying, No, we are sons of Abraham, so we have this esteemed position. Notice what... John the Baptist says, he says, And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for, Abraham, for, 
before Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Sounds like the type of message that Jesus would also give. So let's get into the second half. Not only do we see the the tombs and trophies aspect, but what we also see is for us, we can either have a monument or we can have a movement. We as a church, we can either have a monument, much like the Pharisees, what they were trying to do, trying to draw people in to, hey, look at these graves, look at these tombs, check them out. This is our history. We're, we're tied to this. Look what we're doing. We're, we're doing these, building up these prophets, and then at the same time saying that they would not be the ones who would kill the prophets, and yet they're building these things for, to invite people to come into, just like what we do monuments today. We erect these monuments, and we, we come, and we, we, we stand before the monuments, and we reflect upon what the monument represents. Recently, we went to, the, to Lincoln's tomb and the, and the monument there, and it's, it's amazing to me. I hadn't been there since I was a kid, and it was amazing to me. Standing there and, and just, I love history anyway, and, and just reflecting upon the history and, and his life and, and what he had gone through and the suffering and, and what he stood for and who he stood against and, and how he had to have been lonely for much of his presidency and and now we, you know, people are invited to go look at the, at the tomb, at the monument. But that's what we do at monuments, isn't it? We build a monument, and then we go look at the monument. Many times in the church, we do similar things. We build monuments around people that we, we respect, or maybe a time and place that we, that we really respect, or maybe it was even a movement of God that happened in the, in the past, and we create monuments in our mind, and what these monuments do is they keep us stuck. They keep us stuck, and we, we reflect upon, oh, remember when such and such was here. In other words, you build a monument around this person, and yet if, if all you do is reflect upon the past and the, that history and what was going on around there, and, and just like that, that whatever that, that individual represented, or maybe that time period that represented, or the, the, the movement of God represented, so many times, and I've heard it here so many times, and I've even said it myself, it's like reflecting upon the past, and I really wish things were like when such and such was here. And I really wish it was like this. And remember when we used to, and remember when we, and so many times what we do is we build a monument, but monuments are never meant for movement. The local church has always been about movement, not monuments. You see, this church isn't, it's been around for about 76 years, but it's not a monument. As I've detailed in this series, this is an assembly of believers. We gather together on Sunday and we're released from this place to go do the missional work of God. That's what we do. Interesting thing about a monument is this. If, if you build a monument, then you have to maintain the monument. And you can go to the Lincoln's tomb right now, and it's beautifully maintained. Beautifully. Grass is always cut. Vegetation, it's so pretty. 
There's no grass coming between the, the cracks of the concrete like in my driveway. It's clean. It's all cleaned up. It looks great. You see, if you build a monument, then all of your efforts are towards maintaining the monument. So then if you pay homage to the monument and you reflect on the past of the, the monument of whatever happened in the past or the person who was in your life in the past or this time period in the past or the movement of God in the past, then what you do is you erect and maintain whatever that image is. And yet what God is calling us to do as a church is to get out of that mindset of, of the monument of the past and into a movement into the future. We can't continue to reflect on what God used to do in our mind or what God has done and expect God to do things into the future. Because if you have erected this thing in your mind, in your heart, that is a monument, you are simply maintaining the image or whatever that monument represents in your life. And if you are sitting there maintaining the monument, you cannot be part of the movement. This is what God is calling us to. So when we talk about being a church for God, for the city, for the nations, that implies movement. The Pharisees loved the history that they wanted to represent. There was a moment in time that they, they wanted to tie themselves to what they thought was some good history, but they were actually on the other side of history. And they were, they were manicuring their life to be connected with that history to have this, this monument effect so people would come and look at them. This church does not exist for people to walk in and to look at us or to look at Calvary and to look at the Calvary family or to look at our heritage. That is not why Calvary exists. We would do a disservice to the kingdom of God if we pretend to think that's what we invite people into. We are inviting people into a movement of God as we live on mission for God. You and I know this full well. Some churches are just into maintenance and not mission. And I'm not naming names, and, and I'm, I'm not doing that. We just know this. Some churches are into maintenance, and that's what they do, and it's manicuring everything about their perception and, and their esteem and their tradition and, and this and, and whatever the old values are, whatever they're trying to do, and, and it happens. And, and it can seep into here very easily. This isn't me bashing another church, and I don't have another church in mind when I'm saying this, and I can say that with a pure conscience. But we just know inherently that some churches are about maintenance and not mission. I want you to know as your pastor, we're about mission. That's what we're about. We're not a group of people that says, come and look at us. We're a group of people that says, come and look at Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why God called me here. That's what he's wanting to do in your life. So I think a question tying all of this and, and putting a bow on the whole series is this. And this is in your guide. Just a phrase, really. We shouldn't be 
concerned on being on the right side of history, but instead we should only be concerned with being on the right side with God. And church family, I want you to know that God is merciful, that he loves you. He loves you even when you don't love him. That's how, that's how outstanding the love of God is. But I just have to ask the question as we finish up today. Is there a monument that you've built? Is there a, is there a period of time in the history that you're, you're, you're clanging for? You're hoping that I'll bring us back to some place in the history. Is there a person in the history you're like, I really wish it was like when... And if you build a monument in your heart that's keeping you from embracing what God wants to do today, I'm not mad at you. I believe that I'm standing with the heart of Jesus to call you to something better than what you currently have. But I have to bring the truth. So the question is this, is there a monument in your life? All the way in the back, is there a monument? Have you erected a monument in your mind to where you're actually stuck spiritually because what you're so bought into is the idea of something that happened in the past. I'm inviting you to believe this God could do something even better into the future. If you're just waiting on a certain certain person who maybe was around here or was in your life and you say, as long as we get this person, everything's going to be okay. I, I want to invite you to something better than that because what God has for us in the future is better and different than what he's had for us in the past because it's for today. The interesting thing about history is sometimes we choose the history we want to believe. Let's not try to rewrite history. Let's not build a monument of who your pastor is or who the pastors have been. Instead, I'm inviting you into a movement because Jesus invited all of us into a movement. And the movement is the forceful expanse of the kingdom of God. Would you stand?